0: Grace and Kim. Hello. From the MIS and CAP team. This podcast is under the Real Women's Forum and aims to serve and discuss themes on trust and relationships, sexual health, hygiene, racial issues, and misogyny, among other things. One of the things is the addition of subjects that pertain to youth. We have created a new section under our podcast, with an X, where we will speak on topics that particularly relate to youth. Before we start, a small disclaimer, the Real Women's Forum podcast
1: does not issue any medical advice. Instead, the podcast serves as a safe and brave space for women and other members of the community to discuss, voice common concerns, and share their experiences. We encourage you to visit MISN's website to seek information on specialized programs regarding health insurance, improving birth outcomes, and educating teens on the risks of being sexually active.
0: Today, we are here with Rachel, a community health worker here at MISN thank you for taking the time to be with us today, Rachel. Thank you for having me. It's really exciting to be
2: on your podcast.
0: Could you please tell us and our
2: listeners a
0: little bit about yourself? Who are you and what
2: do you do? So I'm a community health worker at MISN and I do specialize in substance use issues. And so I wanted to talk a little bit today about the judgment in addiction in our society and and sort of how we're working to, to change that. So I guess To talk about judgment and addiction, um, sort of start with talking about judgment in general and how we judge other people and doing a little exercise, if you will. Um, So I'm married. I have three kids. I'm a working professional. I'm a homeowner. And I have a high credit score. And I wanted the listeners to kind of take a, a minute and kind of evaluate how they think of me as a person. And then I'm going to say some other things about myself that might cause judgment to occur. Trigger warning. I'm in the middle of getting a divorce. My children have different fathers. Um, I've struggled with addiction and I've been arrested.
1: Thank you for sharing so candidly um, about yourself and your personal experiences. I think it's also really important to not judge people for their past or aspects of their life that may be considered negative to some extent. And we should just be focused on, those experiences and how they brought them to this point and what the future has in store for them, because at the end of the day, that's what's most important. It is.
2: It definitely is. Yeah. Um, So recently, as you guys probably know, um, MISN has had the opportunity to partner with the healing communities um, of Ulster County grant. And it's really part of, you know, a bigger, a bigger picture of what's happening in our society with really shifting the way that we deal with addiction. And so our part in it is definitely to what what we're doing is we have a tablet and we have sort of access to the resources people need to do telehealth visits. I'm sure you're aware with COVID, non-emergency medical care rapidly shifted to, you know, everything being online and, and telehealth visits. What we realized pretty quickly was that, you know, the high risk, high need population didn't have access to healthcare, because unless you have devices, a laptop or a tablet to access telehealth visits, um, suddenly people who were in situations where, you know, they were living in poverty and didn't have, you know, the resources that they needed were cut off from non-emergency medical care. And so our part in that was definitely trying to correct that. So we have people that either can come into our office or we will go into their homes and, and be there as a support and help them with telehealth visits so that they can get the care that they need and get treatment that they're entitled to for substance use disorder.
1: I think it's really important to think about the impact that COVID had on neglected populations. And even though times are changing and we're kind of getting back to normal, sort of. (laughs) um, We're trying to. (laughs) There's still a lot of problems and issues that people are facing in order to just seek the care that they need to be their best selves.
2: Yeah, yeah, definitely. You know, I would say that it was a struggle even before COVID, as we've seen in healthcare, but COVID definitely brought a lot of things to light as far as the kinds of access that that people have to medical care and how, you know, just how quickly it became apparent that there was an entire population sort of lost there. I mean, even if you had access, it was it was hard to get a doctor's appointment or to get help with anything. You know, you'd call and the, the you'd be number 32 on the list of people that they were going to answer to book an appointment. So I think we all dealt with that to some extent. But, you know, populations that didn't even have proper access suffered the most.
1: Definitely. How uh, do you feel like your personal life and experiences have affected your goals personally and professionally? Like, I know you talked about Um, battling addiction on your own. So like, how do you feel like your experiences contribute to your drive to want to do what you do?
2: It gives me a much better understanding of what I do. And I think that's important in any field that you work in. And I mean, I I think it's a, a wonderful opportunity to have, and I'll share with you that it was, it was difficult because coming out of addiction back into society and doing job interviews was like one of the hardest things because I think that question is something that if you work with any uh, high risk or high needs community, one of the most general questions you'll be asked in any interview is why do you wanna do this work? Like what drives you to do it? And so learning to share my personal experience was challenging because you want them to hire you. And, and judgment does exist. And, and that was sort of the point of the first exercise is that it exists to some extent in all of us. So that was a big challenge for me and being comfortable sharing that with people and sort of being able to be honest and present it as an asset, because I believe that it is. Um, I think a lot of people look at obstacles as setbacks and not necessarily as, as learning opportunities and opportunities to grow. But, you know, I think any obstacle that we go through does help us grow and it does help us connect with more and more people as we go through life. So I wouldn't say that I I chose my career. I think my career chose me <laughs> in a way. So it's definitely personal. It's a calling I, and I love what I get to do.
0: Yeah. You mentioned that um, you were afraid that with past experiences that there's a lot of judgment, but yes. I believe there's also a lot of stigma with that too. Usually when someone says an addict, people think of them negatively, you know? Yes, yes, um, definitely. But they're much more than that. And so that being said, like, how do you feel the stigma around addiction is being addressed
2: right now? I see a lot of the positive changes that are happening. You know, I think with with new legislation uh, in Ulster County that's really addressing addiction, you're seeing more of these these hot topics like you know, the wellness approach and decriminalization of drugs, the prison reform, peer-run programs. And I think that all of those, those bigger topics really begin here with, you know, changing our attitudes and our perceptions in the way that we think. In the past, most treatment facilities wouldn't continue treatment if somebody wasn't abstinent from using drugs or alcohol. It's only been very recently that we've been able to you know, Samadhi is a big organization that, that does this to, to practice the harm reduction and the wellness approach and just and sort of, even if that means giving people safer options that are not ready for recovery, fentanyl testing strips and um, Narcan kits and Narcan training, free Narcan training, things like that, where in the past we haven't been as accepting or as understanding. And I think that that's a huge shift that's happening now in a lot of places where we're viewing this as a disease and sort of letting go of, you know, the idea that people who suffer from addiction sort of bring their problems onto themselves or or that they deserve it and and treating it as an illness and treating it with compassion.
1: I feel like that's kind of the most important thing going on right now, because I feel like there definitely is a huge stigma around addiction being something that people just do to themselves. Same way that a lot of people consider different mental health diseases, like they would they would say depression is just laziness or that you just have no will and so you just don't feel like doing anything, you're unmotivated. And so I think it's really important to understand that these are all diseases, a lot of times stemming from imbalances or whatever could be going on in your mind. And it's not something that is just as easy as, oh, I'm just not gonna do it anymore.
2: Yeah, I- exactly. And, and I like how you brought up mental health issues too, because that, I mean, that's a, I guess that's a different podcast, right? <laughs> it definitely transcends into other areas that people that, that are dealing with mental health problems, that people are dealing with addiction, that it's, it's a choice and that's just how they're choosing to live and sort of opening ourselves up a bit and understanding that, you know, to, to have change, you have to have a safe place to change. So Being able to provide that um, to our clients and sort of meet them outside the walls of judgment and listen to what they need and deal with them as individuals, because we are all all human and we're individual and and what resources one person needs to get somewhere can be very different from what another person needs to get somewhere, even if they have the same problem. What they need to solve that problem can can be a whole different set of, of resources and support. And really understanding that, and and understanding them as individuals, and letting go of some of the more punitive styles of dealing with this. And I know even the probation department has made some some major changes in how they're addressing people that are coming in with substance use disorder. I've been honored to be a part of that as well, because you know a lot of people they go into probation and and they don't have. They don't have access to the things that they need to comply with probation. Mm -hmm. You go in and they're like, okay, well, you need to get a job and you need to go to outpatient. You need to do this and do that. And you might not even have a place to live, let alone a car to do these things. And then you're not able to comply. And then you're not able to get through probation successfully. I've been honored to be able to work with the probation department. And to provide people with, we work with A to B taxi and, and a bunch of other programs to provide transportation and provide resources for people so that they are able to, to comply.
0: That's great that you're giving them the necessary resources needed to, you know, better themselves, because like you said, everyone has different journeys. And so the, the fact that you offer different services to them, wherever they are in their journey, is just great. How successful has that been with the probation officers, and like giving them the
2: tools necessary? I would say it's been successful. I, you know, like before you asked me, like how my personal experiences that you know, have affected my career. I was somebody who was on probation at one point in my life, and I'm grateful I've been able to work with the woman who was my probation officer. <laughs> so that that ability to know what it means to go through that process. Um, and how to what you would need to be successful in sort of recognizing those sort of gaps and surface uh, that can affect many people when they're they're going through drug court or when they're going through probation or when they're going through incarceration and and sort of what's needed there and I think that's the wonderful thing about doing field work and being part of you know a nonprofit that really gets involved in their community. And then having the asset of understanding what it means to be on the other end of that as well. Um, knowing what it means to go through those processes and to go through recovery. So it's it's really been, it's been a, a wonderful gift to me to be able to come from being on probation to working with my probation officer hand in hand um, and helping the community.
1: Yeah, everything really does come full circle. It does. <laughs> and it's pretty amazing, Like. As you we were saying before, a lot of people would see your experience negatively, but it gives you an amazing skill set to approach and help other people deal with similar experiences and come from a place of understanding and empathy because you have been in a similar space to them and been in their shoes and you have an understanding of what it was like to be there and what tools they need or what they might need access to, to do for themselves what they're trying to do.
2: Yeah. And I think that, you know, the peer-run programs are becoming so popular because of that. Agencies hiring people that can relate to some extent to the people, the population that they're they're working with and working for, mm-hmm. and properly advocate for them, and filling that gap between like the legislation and the actual services provided, which was you know really the wonderful thing about the Healing Communities Grant. That grant was given to organizations that actively work in the community, Kingston Outreach Program and Catholic Charities, people that are involved day to day with the population that they work with. The legislation's great and the laws are great and things changing are great, but putting that into action are the people that are working with the population every day Um, and One of the most amazing things uh, I got to sit down with Cameron Coleman, he does the street outreach in Kingston and they were able to get suboxone providers to um, volunteer, to sit with patients until they started to experience withdrawal symptoms from opiates and be able to provide them with medication immediately. And being able to offer that kind of support is so beautiful because a lot of it is mental, whereas before Suboxone was not being provided until somebody could test clean for opiates, which I'm not sure how many um, of the listeners are familiar with opiate withdrawal, but it's, uh, it's pretty severe physically to go through. So you have to go through that on their own and then come back to the doctor and then test clean before they could get medicated. And And so like these kinds of programs that are, you know, making treatment, that is human and that is compassionate, Mm -hmm. you know, the idea of somebody sitting with you while you go through something like that and being there for you is a huge pivot from 10 years ago or 20 years ago and how we were treating people um, that had issues with addiction. I think it kind of goes
1: to show how much of a change support can make, especially with the, I forget what the terminology used was, but the peer programs, like having a support system really changes the way that treatment works.
2: Yes, definitely. And yeah, so the peer-run programs are sort of on the basis of, um, and a lot of places are doing this now, especially, I don't know if you've heard of like KSACs or, you know, but people that work in the field of addiction where they are, hiring those who have gone through addiction themselves so that they're better able to advocate for and understand the population they're working with and it's really an idea that's becoming i think more and more popular in in all organizations that before you had a an us and them thing started happening where it was you had like people that had problems and then people that treat those people and sort of again filling the gap like we did with like legislation and nonprofits where the you know, it's difficult for a group of people to address a problem that they've never had any proximity to and they've never really dealt with. And and it doesn't mean that they that their intentions aren't good. Their intentions are great and they want to help people, but to me, it's the, the difference from you know being able to experience sympathy and feeling bad for somebody versus compassion and understanding and being able to you know really see the nature of the problem and and provide tangible resources to help with the problem
1: um, i know we discussed earlier about covid and this population but do you find that there are any other issues or problems with seeking treatment amidst covid and how things are changing and is there anything being done to address those other issues
2: yes well i think as a society everyone's you know like you said we're kind of getting back out there and we're doing what we can COVID was difficult because a lot of what our organization and our partner organizations do is in person and being out in the community and having the community see us and talk to us and losing that was hard. Everything was virtual and we all we all tried the best we could, right? I mean, nobody saw it coming and it was so quick. It was just this rapid change. And I think, you know, the other biggest challenge in this is definitely Time because when you have a huge, you know, shift in ideas where you're going from only offering treatment to people who are abstinent and criminalizing street drugs and, you know, trying to reverse those previous beliefs and looking at health and well being and harm reduction and being non judgmental, even in our language, those changes throughout a culture take time. And that's difficult in the work that we do because the more time that elapses, essentially, the more lives are lost, right? So it, I would say that would be the greatest challenge is trying to move forward as quickly as possible to save as many lives as we can in our community.
0: And how has the target um, population responded to the efforts that's being done? Do they take it well? Yes,
2: I think that, well, I think anybody that that's being shown uh, compassion and instead of judgment is, you know, happier with that, right? (laughs) And I think that people in general are more responsive to somebody connecting to them and understanding them and genuinely not just wanting to help them, but being able to give them tools that will help them from similar experiences and also just from working in the field and Um, and having a lot of resources. I would say that the response from the community has been phenomenal just in terms of people being able to open up more and talk about these things because you can't, you can't really address something if you can't talk about it to begin with and sort of trying to unravel the shame that's been attached to this and, and look at this as a problem that people face like many other problems that people face and, and not just with addiction, but with issues like mental health, with issues of poverty, and sort of removing the shame and dealing with the problem. Because we all are human and we all have some sort of problems in our lives. I don't know, I've never met anybody that's gone through their whole life with no problems. So, so you're treating it as what it is, which is like an issue that can be helped and mitigated and resolved. Um, and not sort of a sentence that, oh, you're mentally ill, or you're an addict, or there's those sort of negative connotations that come with negative language that, you know, make people feel like they can't talk about the issue. Mm -hmm.
0: So is there anything else you would like to add or that you would like the listeners to know?
2: I mean, I just wanted to thank you guys for letting me come onto the podcast and, and share my story. And I hope that in sharing personal things about myself that it will help people to you know, be able to open up more and to be for us as a community and as a society, be able to talk about these things more openly and, and be more accepting of each other as human beings and, and have more of these conversations, which is this podcast and, and, you know, discussions like this come from is like, hey, let's be more open. Like, let's talk about these things that are happening that nobody talks about. Uh, and it's such an important thing, you know, especially coming out of COVID, coming back into the world, to be able to open up and, and and talk about some things that have been difficult in the past to discuss, but hopefully in the future, they'll just be regular discussions. <laughs> that's, that's the hope, I think.
1: Well, thank you so much for talking with us. And I did want to say that I feel like so much of sympathy and empathy and understanding is actually putting it into practice. So when we do have these conversations that are maybe difficult or just topics that are usually seen as taboo or not discussed, like it gives us an opportunity to put these things into practice and to change the way that we think and view other people.
2: Um, Exactly. Exactly. And have it not be so taboo anymore and have it be, you know, things that people are, are able to talk about freely and
0: destigmatize it as well definitely
2: thank you so much for coming
0: to talk with us
1: today taking the time out of your schedule to talk with us about your life and how it's influenced your work and just the work that you're doing right now yeah this was a great conversation
2: thank you thank you guys for for adding me to your your collection of podcasts right and i'm glad that that you're doing this because it's it's important for the whole the whole community to be having these kinds of conversations.
0: If anyone listening is interested in being interviewed or knows someone that might be interested in being interviewed for our podcast, please reach out to us via text or call at 845-248-3942. Thank you so much for listening. Bye. Bye.